welcome to this week's episode of the Get to the Contest Small Business Podcast. Today, I've got a special guest, Damien Lehman, talking about the intricacies of payroll tax. Now, um, payroll tax is a, a tax which many small business owners um, aren't aware of at first, and as their business grows, it, it can creep up, up on them and uh, it can come as a rude shock. Now, personally, it's one of my least favourite taxes because it, it really puts a discourage, discourages people on, on growing their business, but you know we've got to play with the rules that the government lays down. First of all, welcome to the podcast, Damien. Uh, thank you, Warwick. Good to be with you. Yeah, well, look, Damien, can you, um, for the audience, just what, what is payroll tax? Well, essentially, it's a tax on your payroll, Warwick. You might be surprised <laughs> to know. But um, what I find interesting with a lot of these uh, areas is to know a little bit about the history first. And particularly, I agree with what you say about payroll tax being one of the most annoying taxes. And it being totally illogical in the sense that it's a tax on an expense of your business, uh, which doesn't really make sense in any other way other than to, as you say, disincentivize growth, bring on more employees and all that sort of thing. But Yeah, it, and, hmm. and uh, I, I know when, when you hear the politicians talk about, oh, we're going to drop a company tax rate or this or that and and in why, which is which is great, but when it flows through to an individual level, most people get taxed on it at the, the same marginal rate anyway. But mm. at, you very rarely hear, you know, oh, well, this is, we're going to help small businesses grow much around the, the elimination of payroll tax. Now, I know that it's a state tax um, and probably most of our conversations today will be based on New South Wales because uh, that's where we, we both largely operate. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real... Uh, dare I say, regressive. Regressive, as, yes. As, as I mentioned at the outset, the, the, we've got to play with the rules that provided. So part of today's chat will be to understand how it works and what are some of the key things that we need to be aware of so we're compliant, but also we're minimising our obligations um, in a legal fashion. So payroll tax, what, what are some of the things that are included in payroll tax? Uh, well, so payroll tax is essentially a, a tax that is paid by employers on wages that they pay. And the term wages is where it all falls apart because wages is so broadly defined by the law that it includes all sorts of things you wouldn't ordinarily consider wages, uh, such as superannuation or fringe benefits, share options, these sort of things which you normally wouldn't consider as part of your wages, especially stuff like super, which doesn't even get taxed to your employees. But so essentially, if it's this broadened version of wages, that you as an employer are paying, uh, then you have to pay uh, payroll tax on a certain amount of those wages above the threshold, which in New South Wales is $900,000. Uh, the threshold's different in every state. Uh, in New South Wales, the tax rate's 5.45%, but again, that's different in all the other states as well. And essentially that means once you're paying wages worth $900,001, then that $1 above the threshold is taxed at that 5.45%. And and so I guess that's where if if the deemed uh, wages are at a million dollars, well, you're, you're at $5,450 in, in payroll tax. Exactly. So, and, and I guess part of today's chat is, I know we've worked on mutual clients where perhaps people didn't realise or they were assessed at being at a higher, at a very high level without knowing it. And 
and you know if you're if you're at um, you know a million dollars above where uh, the threshold you know, without realizing um, once everything's included perhaps but by virtue of grouping and other things which we'll discuss later you know that's fifty four and a half thousand dollars that you've just got to go and find which is uh, not many small business owners that I'm aware of um, in day to day just have that in their, their back pocket ready to go. Um, you know, it's a real kick in the guts. So um, so you touched on um, some of the things that are included. So obviously salaries. Um, what about, um, you've mentioned super, um, allowances, F, uh, fringe benefits? Yes, that's right. And I don't know so, if it's worth mentioning what fringe benefits are for people listening. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, so essentially it's something of value that you give an employee as part of their job. That, that you don't pay them cash for. So classic ones are car allowance, uh, parking allowance, accommodation allowance, meal allowance, this sort of stuff. And there, there are small carve-outs in the payroll tax system which won't tax you on a bare minimum amount of, say, motor and accommodation allowances. But generally that sort of stuff will be part of this broadened definition of wages on which payroll tax will have to be assessed. Yep. And for most small business owners... Um the, the, the big F, the big fringe benefit item which um, again many people may not be aware of but it's it's the the, the motor vehicle you know pa- packaging up the company car running all the expenses through um, thinking oh well I'm going to get a, a great tax break now that can work but you know obviously we need to calculate the the fringe benefits component and that that then adds to your your payroll tax towards your payroll tax threshold um, okay so one of the areas that uh, we haven't yet discussed, like, you know, there's, uh, you would know better than I the, how long the act is and all the various intricacies of that, but what about contractors? So I'm a, I'm a small business and I'm, I'm a builder and I've got, um, a, a, you know, I might only have 800,000 of wages because I, I want it, but then I've just got a whole bunch of subbies that I pay. Is there, what are your thoughts around how that would operate? Uh, well, it's a similar situation to uh, how they've made wages bigger than common sense. So they've made the definition of an employee the same in terms of they've they've said that someone who ordinarily you would think is a contractor is going to be deemed to be an employee for certain purposes. And my reading of the legislation is that it's sort of set up by default to say that contractors are your employees unless you carve it out. Uh, and the particular carve-outs are, are stuff like where you're engaging someone to do services for you, but those services are only supplemental to them providing you goods or their services are for a short period of time, only 180 days or less, or their services available to the general public. So we're talking about a plumber. He's, he can be a plumber for everyone else in the, in the public, uh, but it's more like if you engage a plumber to just do work for you for all year, they've become an employee and you've got to pay payroll tax on their wages. Right, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so if they're plumbing, coming in and fitting out the, the works on a, on a job site uh, and they might be there for two, three weeks or whatever, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're what you pay that plumber's company um, is subject to payroll tax. But perhaps if you had, uh, and I, I get this a lot, Oh well, no. These guys—they're subbies. They're—you know—might be bricklayers. They only work for me, but I just pay them hourly rate. But they've got an ABN, therefore they don't count. You know, they're on an hourly rate kind of thing. From what you're saying, they're—they're they're, they're likely to, to to fall into the the, the the payroll 
tax under the payroll tax banner. Uh, yeah, that's right. And and they'll be deemed wages for the amount that you're paying under the paying under the contract. And there's even things like deemed fringe benefits and deemed super. So if you have a contractor and you're paying them whatever thousand dollars, the rules will say that's a thousand dollars of wages, and we'll deem or we'll pretend that there was also nine point five percent of super on top of that, and put all that towards your quote wages and charge a payroll tax on that. Wow, so massive kick in the guts to the the small business owner if they if they're not uh, expecting it. One of the well, and the, the just one thing, it's Sorry. the whole crazy thing about this system is that it's so against common sense. And most people who will go out in business are pretty common sense oriented people. And you would think, well, the thing I'm paying is not payroll. The people I'm paying are not my employees, so I should be fine. But part of, so, so the state governments don't have many taxes left. This is the only one they got back from the federal government in 1971. And so now they're stuck with land tax, stamp duty and payroll tax. And payroll tax is the only one that really has any growth left in it. And they get about 25 to 35% of state revenues from it. And because they're always looking for more money, they've just broadened these acts so far, as far as they can, to just get every dollar out of out of people for state revenues. Yes. Okay. Um, which means, and you touched on that, so they've broadened the 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 act. So I guess probably to the next point. So what do you think are the key things? So if 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 I am a business and I do have maybe, you know. In the example we just discussed, you, you've got the example of the bricklayers that just work for me and they're just there basically, they look and act and smell like employees and behave like employees. Well, they're probably subject to the, the, the payroll tax as opposed to the plumber that might just come in and do a fit out for the, the plumbing works and move on and, and have, you know, 500 other 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 customers. So what are the steps yes. that people need to take to make sure that if the OSR or New South Wales, what are they, uh, Revenue New South Wales? Now. Revenue New South Wales, yep. Um, Revenue New South Wales would have come looking. What makes and, and what to deem and, you know, get their claws into your business to, to claim some more payroll tax? What are the things that you and your, uh, you want your clients as, from a legal perspective to best protect against that happening? So what, what sort of things do you want to have in place, like documentation, contracts, that sort of thing? Uh, well, that's right. So because the way these rules work, in terms of how they define wages and employees and that sort of stuff, the chief commission of state revenue, he's able to just kind of say from day one, everyone's an employee, all the money's wages, unless you can demonstrate otherwise. So it's all about what documentation you have. So you presumed guilty um, from a tax yes. perspective uh, until you can prove yourself innocent. Well, um, they're not as bad as the ATO. They, they haven't got entirely the same powers, but it's quite a similar situation where uh, you essentially comes down to what documents do you have? And and I, I deal with the ATO and Revenue New South Wales on a regular basis. It's what I do for a living. And one of the most common things that um, come up comes up in an audit is that people in business don't have immaculate records because they're human like everyone else. And... To the extent you do have good records, that's very powerful to show these these tax authorities because they'll just say, yeah, look, you did the wrong thing. And you'll say, look, no, we didn't. We, did, we didn't document anything, but please believe us. 
that this person's a contractor and not an employee. So anyway, the point of all this is to say, if you have a situation where, you know, you want to make sure that someone is a contractor and not an employee, you want a document that specifically says they're a contractor, you want the document to make clear perhaps that there's a term of work, that it's less than 180 days ideally, that they're free to offer services to the public more, more generally, these sort of things to, to document the, the, the relationship that it's not an employment relationship. And that won't always work 100%, but at least it's something you can throw at uh, Revenue New South Wales if they say these people are employees. And, you know, that that's a very important thing to get right. And that's not even sort of touching on the fact that employee itself is not defined in the legislation. It goes to case law and there's a whole bunch of case law about when someone's an employee or not. And there was this classic case of uh, Vabu versus Hollis in 2001, where it was bi a bicycle courier ran someone over and hurt them. And the company said, oh, the bicycle couriers were contractors, not employees, so I'm not vicariously liable. And they go through the whole list and they say, well, they had, they had uniforms that you made them wear. You told them what routes to go on. You said they couldn't choose which deliveries they did, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff meant that they're employees. So it's this sort of the vibe, facts and circumstances as well. <laughs> so yes. That's, so yeah. so get, get, getting those so, you know, getting those particulars. Uh, get it written down so you get, can throw it at an auditor. And throwing it at the auditor. And ideally, um, if there's any grey area, perhaps getting a little bit of guidance about how any engagements should be structured um, because, you know, if, if, we're, if we're spending potentially a couple hundred thousand dollars with uh, a contractor and that's going to put us over the threshold, um, you know, at five and a half percent or 5.45 percent, that's, you know, more than ten thousand dollars if, um, you know, we're going to be engaging someone. So, you know, that's a real kick to the, the margins if we're, if, um, yeah, so it's worth asking the questions and, and perhaps getting some guidance around how to structure that documentation from the outset. So From that. the outset, that's an important point because yeah. it's very hard to, after the fact, rearrange everything. And even if it was like a legitimate way you've recorded it, they're, they're going to be suspicious of you until you can sort of prove otherwise. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. Now, whenever I raise um, the, the, you know, the issue of, of payroll tax to sort of clients who are, who are growing and getting towards, you know, they might maybe very close to the threshold, uh, but not yet there. And I'd say, look, this is on the on the radar. Um, typically, uh, one of the initial responses is, oh, that's fine. I'll just start up another company mm. and, and I will just trade um, over in that company. And look, that way, you know, I'll, I'll stay at 800 odd thousand over in company one. And in company two, that's where I'll, I'll do, you know, hire all my next lot of staff and, and great, we'll, we'll have two companies at $800,000 and we won't we won't be, uh, neither company will be above that, that threshold. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't work. Uh, would, you, would you like to sort of explain uh, why? Uh, yes. So when the Commonwealth Government gave this back to the states in 71, the great fun and game was to set up different companies in different states um, because... New South Wales didn't know what Victoria was doing and you'd be able to avoid payroll tax everywhere by doing this. And in 2007 and 8, all the states figured out, well, we got to get all of our, our uh, payroll tax law consistent. So they created this harmonisation project 
And now pretty much all the acts say the same thing all around Australia, other than the fact that the thresholds and the tax rates are all different because they're all competing with each other, all the states. But part of that harmonisation project has been uh, to make sure there's these grouping provisions which say even if you set up a second company and you split your employees 50-50 across them to be under the threshold, we're going to deem that to be a single group for payroll tax purposes and we're going to assess them all together under the one $900,000 threshold for New South Wales and each of those companies will be joint and severally liable to pay the payroll tax. So there are specific tests for when you can be grouped and like everything else in payroll tax land, they're hugely broad and you're pretty much guilty until you can say you're innocent. And we can go through those tests in some detail. I don't know if you want to add anything in the meantime. Uh, oh, well, look, you know, I, I guess at a high level, because I know it's in, in incredibly complicated and the, the, you know, the claws of the legislation are designed to get their hooks into everything. Um, yeah. But just without, you know, I won't hold you to this, but what are some of the, the common areas where people um, might think they can get out of it, but, you know, they get dragged, they, they find they're actually caught in that grouping provision. So uh, even like common, is it common employees, um, you know, common ownership of, of shares, that, that sort of stuff? So uh, broadly speaking, there's sort of three different tests and most of them are sort of common sense, but the one that is stickiest for people is what you mentioned, which is the common employees. Um, but essentially there's, there's three tests. One is do you own each other? If one company is a subsidiary of the other one, then you're going to be a group. Um, and that's that's kind of common sense. Uh, the other one is if you or a group of persons uh, control another company, then you'll be grouped together as well, which sort of is, again, common sense. You might not have common ownership, but you have common control. You have 50% plus one voting at a director or shareholder meeting. So we're going to group those. Uh, and then the third one is the common employees, which... This is where people have more of an issue because uh, it's not as obvious to people and pr pretty much that rule says if, you know, you and your business, you have employees, um, but if they do work for a separate business for which you and some other entity uh, are running, uh, carrying on, then you'll be grouped with that other entity for payroll tax purposes, even though they might be someone entirely separate from you, this other business. Um, you, you, I assume you probably would be friendly with them since you're kind of giving them your employees most of the time to do work for them. But you wouldn't necessarily think that they're you. You don't have mutual ownership, you don't have mutual control. But the fact that you've been sending your employees over there to do work for that business, which you co-own with them, um, that'll group you. And the other one worth mentioning is if you have employees. So, so the first, the one I just mentioned is if it's a, if you have another business that you also carry on with someone else, that'll get you in the grouping. But the other one is you sitting here with your own business and employees and you let them do work for a separate business owned and operated by a separate entity, but your employees do solely or mainly do work for that other business. And that will then group the other business in with you so does that sort of make sense how, uh, how broad that can be yes yeah, so incredibly broad and very well um i i, I guess yeah that, that's because i i guess the uh, revenue new south wales's perspective would be go well really you've, you've let your employees go over to 
uh, a friendly uh, person and you've you've just letting them pay them direct but really you're effectively subbing subcontracting them over or to, you you know it's the same net effect is what the OSR's point of view would be so we mm. we want our slice of that pie um, so I, and I guess uh, we're not talking about well I, I guess people can inadvertently get full, like it, it might not be a cunning scheme to evade payroll tax it might be a le legitimate you know someone who's a common employee of two businesses um, doesn't necessarily mean they're grouped um, but by the if, if they're cop they because they might just work in the same industry and they might be casual they work for two different employees doing same sort of stuff uh, employers doing the same sort of stuff um, what can the employer do like I guess if, if uh, the Revenue New South Wales said they were, you know, notice there was two or three employees, say they're in traffic control or something like that, and they might work for company A mm -hmm. if there's work on, and they might work for company B if there's work work on, and they're kind of doing the same thing, and there's common common employees, and they might be completely separate. Is that enough to drag them into uh, grouping, theoretically? Mm, probably, yes. Um, it, it comes down to the way, so the threshold test is if your employees do work for the other business solely or mainly, and yep. then we've got to have a big fight about what solely or mainly means, and Revenue New South Wales will interpret that in a way that's helpful for them. And yes. I re recently had a client uh, that was providing labour hire services and particularly like um, heavy machinery mechanic services, and they were mostly doing work for a particular business, but it was a separate business. It was just that they were giving them 80% of their labour hire stuff because they happened to be the, the main client of this business. Revenue New South Wales essentially said, oh, no, th those guys are grouped with you. Your employees are solely or mainly doing business, uh, working for that other business, and therefore you and the other business are now grouped for payroll tax purposes. And it... In this particular case, that other business went under and was in liquidation owing $100,000 of payroll tax. So Revenue New South Wales was able to do this grouping decision and say, well, that dead company is gone. We can't get that. But we can now stick the $100,000 of payroll tax to you because you're still solvent and we can chase you for that. And wow. let alone the fact that this is a labour hire company and, you know, like this is the kind of stuff they're doing all the time, like sending out empl your employees to do stuff for other people all the time. In the end, well, and then to segue sort of to your next question there about what do you do, in in that case, uh, you you make a – so the rules are so broad uh, that they make it very easy for you to be grouped uh, in the first place, but then the commissioner or chief commissioner of the, the state revenue has um, general discretion to say – even though you really are a group because I wrote the law to make it really easy to say you are, I'm going to exercise discretion and I'm going to consider the nature and degree of the ownership and control and the nature of your businesses and I'm going to decide maybe you – I'm going to pretend you're not a group. I'm not actually going to say you aren't because I like to always make keep, you know, keep my bets going. Uh, but today I'm going to exercise my discretion and pretend you're not, and split you up again for payroll tax purposes. But, of course, if one day you upset me again, I'm, I might withdraw my discretion. But anyway, so you could you make a submission to, to Revenue New South Wales, 
asking them to ungroup you is what you do. We've had a reasonable amount of success with that in the past. Great. So I, I guess probably the off the back of that then with the just absolutely you know, super broad rules that you've touched on. Clients that are getting anywhere near, you know, they should have a look through their profit and loss, with, sit down with their accountant, and if their wages, super, fringe benefits, plus there's, you know, maybe look at the, the contractor's line. If that's getting anywhere near that 900,000 figure, that's probably at the point of the time where we go, right, well, we're, we're now potentially at, at risk. Let's assess that risk and then sit down and if, if, if necessary, you know, spend, invest, the time um, with someone such as yourself uh, to get some some guidance, um, so you know, get documentation in place and, and potentially seek a, a uh, an ungrouping or a degrouping um, notification from from Revenue New South Wales. So um, yes, far better to do that in advance and find out then hope that it's not going to ever get picked up on because with the various uh, you know, single touch payroll and all the sharing of data from the ATO across government organisations, um, it's getting easier and easier uh, to find. And as you touched on earlier, um, state governments are getting hungrier and hungrier for cash. So it's not going to be that hard for people to match it up. So um, getting that guidance in advance, at least you can take before, before you get over that threshold. Um, it's far better than trading for two or three years and then, then getting that kick in the guts. So any any uh, tax effective strategies um, that you you have seen like um, one of the ones uh, I know uh, we've we've helped clients is just looking at you know how the owners get paid of a business um, obviously for the staff there's there's limitations but the owners getting paid um, so rather than taking salary and wage um, dividends um, a frank dividend out of the company uh, isn't deemed. Um, any any other sort of wins that you you've seen to help get people below uh, legitimately below a threshold? Not really. The dividends is the main one. So um, dividends and the other other one is we and, and cars are subject to FBT, uh, which then falls into. Um, but that that's still structured the right way and with appropriate documentation on logbooks and those sorts of things, making sure. Um, that FBT component is very, very small. Um, so there's still some tax effective salary packaging around cars that we, you know, we sort of typically speak to clients on. And, and the other one that um, I, I have seen often, we'll get, you know, businesses are doing quite well and they go, right, well, we work in here and we're going to pay the maximum super contribution. So they might max out and put an additional, um, you know, 15 or 20 grand into super. Now, super does fall under. The, the rules. So, you know, if you're paying payroll tax on that, that you're losing five and a half or five point. That'll be wages. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's so again, I, my, my suggestion on that is if you want to put money into super to get your overall tax bill down, we'll take it out as dividend, which doesn't count. And then at a personal level, which the rules changed a couple of years ago, you can still pay at a personal level um, that, that superannuation contribution um, down at uh, in your personal tax return, doesn't form part of the PNL of the of the of the the company that would be subject to to payroll tax. So that that's a a win there. Um, so small, you know, and that, that could be worth you know five point four five percent of of a decent number. Um, that that takes the fun out of your 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 your, your super contribution if you if it's just structured the wrong way. Um, so yeah, there's there's a, there's a few there. So 
Um, well, and and I'll just add that um, the the main thing with all this is documenting it properly, uh, and things like directors' fees will be wages. So stuff stuff like dividends. I mean, th that'll come out of the franking account and everything else. And usually it'll be clear that's dividends, um, but. You just want to make sure all this is documented properly, even if it's a relatively simple document, to make it clear that it's not something else like director's fees or whatever else. So you can – when, when an auditor comes knocking, as soon, if you, you're the kind of person who can throw all the paperwork at them as soon as the auditor knocks, the auditor is very satisfied with that usually, and they usually will be less likely to chase things down a rabbit hole. Um, so that's always good. I'm, I'm glad to touch on that. That's that's exactly right. The, the, the inclination to go digging increases with the greater amount of um, time between them asking mm. and, and the quality of the documentation that appears to have been provided. Uh, whereas if you go slap it down on a, you know, here's, here's an email, here's 50 things you've asked for, they're all there, tick, 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 tick. Well, mm -hmm. they're back at their office and they're ticking and flicking and they go, oh, well, geez, these guys have got their act together. Um, oh, well, um, case, you know, job done. We'll move on to the next client who perhaps we can... can the uh, guy who had no paperwork. The guy that the guy, had no paperwork. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for for sharing um, you know, payroll tax. As we said at the outset, it's a, it's a pretty ugly ugly thing and it's a nasty sting in the tail, uh, particularly if you're not expecting it. Um, so there's a, f a few great tips there around what to do um, to, to minimise those nasty surprises. Um, mm -hmm. Let's just learn a bit more about yourself, Damien. So, look, what's what's the best thing that you do in, in your... Tell us a bit about your role and and the best thing about it. Uh, okay. Well, so uh, I work at a law firm called Andrea of Lawyers uh, and I'm, I'm a commercial and tax lawyer and I've been practising for six years and I mostly do tax law these days and I recently finished a Masters of Tax. Um, and and I really enjoy tax law. And, and the reason I do is that it's such a complicated area that even the legislators and the tax office in Revenue New South Wales aren't really quite across it. And you know, the more you look into these things, and we sort of touched on the vibe during this conversation, you look at how much the governments, the state and the federal, have written the laws in their own favour and made, essentially made you guilty until you prove yourself innocent. And the more you kind of come across this, and, you, and in my practice I've seen personally situations where the ATO will come in and they'll say, you owe a million dollars of tax and actually you only owe $5,000 because they've misread the way Section 109E about amalgamated loans works but no one at the ATO really has much of an incentive to, to really get that right. And, and it's human nature because someone just said, look, here, here's all these powers. You don't have to try so hard. So go ahead and audit these people. And I don't want to slag off the ATO too much because I know people, individuals there who are good people. But it's a big organisation and big organisations become dumb and lazy and they've got stupid processes and, and, and anyway, so yeah. the, the ranting point is you get used to a, like a feeling of self-righteousness or, you know, that it's, it's not right, damn it, some of these things that, that Revenue New South Wales and the ATO does, and you actually get to feel principled about what you're doing for a living because even if 
and I don't have any clients like this, but even theoretically, if I had a client who I know probably owes tax, the ATO doesn't get it right a lot of the time. And no one is checking up on the ATO unless we are, you know, unless the, the taxpayer or the lawyers for the taxpayer are. And the final kicker is I, I know someone who got a letter from the ATO, like it was an accounting firm, they got a letter from the ATO saying, you owe $438 million of tax, please. You have 21 <laughs> days to pay this $438 million of tax. Otherwise, we proceed to, to legal recovery, right? And this is like a, a small 10-person firm. And so they got the letter, <laughs> and they all laughed. They all laughed at this letter, and they rang the ATO up, and they said, oh, sorry, that was a mistake, right? Yeah. And like it's pay-as-you-go withholding. And so, so wow. that was a robo-letter. No human looked at the damn letter. It went out, and, okay, it was $438 million. I've, I've seen a copy of it myself. Um, so, we could, so we knew it belonged in the bin, but what if it was $4,000? Or $43,000. You know, like, no one is really looking at this. And if you had just ignored that letter and didn't call the ATO, you might get a statement of claim, perhaps. You know, like, who knows? Because the machine just keeps rolling along. Might, yeah, you might get a, a statutory demand, all this stuff. And um, anyway, I'm going a bit long on the answer. But, no, I, I love it. Know, and it probably, probably links to... Uh, uh, because I'd imagine a significant portion of your time is going into bat for small business clients, definitely um, who 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 get uh, something that's unexpected or unfavourable, um, which which I didn't ask you. So now's now's the perfect time. So if if people do get um, what what do you get one of these letters? What 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 do you suggest they they do? Um, and I'll I'll preface that by saying. Ignoring it is not an acceptable <laughs> behaviour because, as you just touched on, um, head in the sand, it'll go away. It won't. You'll just get further and further pass through the system and and be be smashed. So, um, what what you know, someone gets a nasty letter or, or what what are the steps? Uh, well, so I'm go I'll keep it sort of general for state and federal tax stuff, I suppose, but. Um, you usually want to react pretty quickly because all these things you usually have some right of review or objection, but they're usually limited timeframes. It's like 60 days is a classic t time frame for some of these things to object or ask for a review. And so, so you want to you want to look at the letter yourself and look it up, Google it or whatever, or figure out if it's something more serious and you need to ring someone like me up. You want to do that pretty soon after you get this letter because, like, as we saw with this ATO robo letter I mentioned and Centrelink had this big robo letter scandal two or three years ago too, I got one of them, um, the machine will keep rolling along and crush you if it wants to. And it'll, even if you try and find sense later on in the process, the humans you will eventually encounter at the tax authority will say, well, sorry, we're so far down this process now. We have a trial now next month. You know, we get, we're going to make you bankrupt. And I've had a situation where the ATO, they're classic, they issue you this notice of assessment and the notice of assessment is deemed correct unless you prove otherwise. And I had a matter where there was a director penalty notice linked to an assessment that was made and we went behind the scenes and we showed the ATO that the figures were wrong by $400,000. And the ATO admitted that, but there was still 
processing the change. And in the meantime, the director penalty notice was still outstanding against my client, who was a director. And that was in, in uh, court the next week. And the ATO would not stand up and say, oh, this $500,000 demand is actually only 100000 now. Because even the ATO says, sorry, uh, we can neither confirm nor deny that there's been any change. We can rely on our conclusive evidence rules that we're correct. And they'd be out of, in the end of this particular situation, we worked it out, got an, got an adjournment. But they would have been out of steamroll so, making bankrupt for this stuff. Uh, anyway, I've lost the point. So what do we do? Oh, no. But, well, Get into action quickly. Act quickly and 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 speak like and, and I'll, I'll just say look speak to your accountant and then yes make sure that 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 you you're documenting you speak and you're getting onto the appropriate uh, experts such as yourself um, sooner uh, because to paraphrase what you're saying you want you want to shut this um, down early with a ton of bricks rather than let let the machine roll on and create a bigger bigger headache that just becomes harder and harder to unwind so um yes you know, and, and obviously prefacing that by having all your documentation before any of this happens it makes makes that process to shut it down far far simpler well and um, i just quickly say this so if you're mr proactive when you get this letter you're already in the top five percent of taxpayers and you're already the favorite there at the ato or revenue new south wales so you get the attention and then they do focus on your matter and they will wind it up quicker than anyone else because you can bet 90% of people put it in the bin. Yep. And, and as you touched on, um, you know, and I've seen clients, oh, well, yeah, well, yeah, we can see that, but you, you had 60 days to appeal it and now we've applied interest and penalties and now, oh, well, no, that's, we're past the date and it's 90 days past and we can't, we actually pass the date where we can go and reverse those penalties and or, all... You know, you get the the whole computer says no mentality of public service. Exactly. Um, what's the best decision um, you have made in your or made in business, or or you have seen people make in business? Like, you know, it doesn't have to be do with payroll tax or anything like this. Like, um, perhaps around your career, what's what's the best decision that you've made for yourself? Mm, um. Well, I guess. So, so I started out, uh, I finished high school. You get given the big textbook about what do you want to do at university. You know you want to go to university these days, um, but what do you want to do? And uh, I first started out doing a Bachelor of Arts and that sort of thing, but I had access to a library. And uh, the first time was a really good library at the university. And I was able to read anything that I wanted to read. And I, I would find I was reading about history and politics. I like a lot of Australian politi political history. And the more I was tracking what I was looking at, voluntarily going and just reading because now I could, I discovered that things like the law uh, as, as an, an area was actually what I was interested in. I was interested in the people who were working in the law and who made law and all that sort of stuff. And so I changed my degree and I became, well, studied law. And uh, I certainly don't regret that. And then ev even more becoming like more interested in tax, that's all linked into the same sort of thing because I've always been interested in figuring out, you know, how, how does everything work as a global system? And, you know, you learn about politics, history, that sort of stuff. You know, I'm particularly interested in the Hawke and Keating years 
and all the tax reforms they did. And that was stuff that I looked at before even I became a lawyer because I was just a political tragic at the time. And But so tax is all up in this. And I find tax so interesting because it's probably the most political area of Australian law other than personal freedom and being locked up. And every year there's the budget and there's every election cycle. It's always about bloody tax and about super, which is a subset of tax too, really. Um, and, and to just follow your interest in these sort of things and read more and more about it. And now I find that when I'm dealing here with tax law matters, there's, there's just all this history of stuff that I know, going back to, you know, Bob Menzies and Curtin and all these people, Gough Whitlam, that you can track a lot of how all this system developed and how it works. And you can understand it in a way, like, I think if, if you have an area of expertise you're working on and you know the history of how it developed, you know the system that was here before the current system, you're already, like, you know, ahead of 80% of people in your field. And... Uh, does that answer the question? <laughs> oh, it, it, it does. I know. No, I, I love it. So, you know, like that, that just, I guess that, that, you know, you had access to uni, the inquisitive mind and, and reading up on your passion that, that obviously changed. And to go with that. Yes. And, and to, to follow, follow that. that. To follow that through. Um, and, you know, I guess part of that journey was, you know, switching your, your, your education. Um, you know, you, you took steps following your passion and then you invested that to, to, you know, and now you're working in what you love. That's right. Yes. Yeah, right. Well, that's sounds like you've made great decisions along the way. So, <laughs> so now, far, so good. Yeah. Now, now, look, what what bit of technology can't you live without? Uh, technology you can't live without. Um, well, so I don't want to say my smartphone because that's everyone's answer probably. Um, but, uh, yeah, look. I, I like YouTube. That's not really a piece of technology so much, but um, yeah, YouTube. You can just watch all sorts of YouTube videos. You can learn how to put a computer together. You can learn about different elements of the, of the periodic table, all sorts of stuff you can learn about if you're interested in it. And I spend a lot of time on YouTube, and I really enjoy it. Okay. So how stuff works on YouTube versus cat videos? Is that, is that what it is? Oh, look, cat videos is usually for the weekend. Um, <laughs> All right. Now, um, and I, I, from what you've shared with us and your, your passion for uh, politics and the political system and tax, um, but I won't preempt your answer, but what, what book or movie um, has most influenced your life? Uh, book, probably 1984 by George Orwell. Um that's probably my favourite book, at least of fiction. Um, I probably mostly read non-fiction these days, and there's quite a few good non-fiction books that I really enjoyed. Uh, and probably the one that I think of most quickly is there's a book called The End of Certainty by Paul Kelly, the journalist, not the, um, not the musician. And, not the muser. And that's essentially about the Hawke and Keating era, but it's, it's this, broaden, uh, this broader thesis about the end of the Australian settlement, which was this idea that back in 1901 to 1910, uh, Alfred Deakin, the second prime minister, set up a whole bunch of stuff like uh, regulated wage commission um, and, and things like that, that uh, continued until about 1985, 1986. 
And then we sort of blew it all up and deregulated a lot of stuff. We got rid of a lot of tariffs, uh, all these things. But we, we've, anyway, the book is about that period of time. And it's really quite interesting. It's a really fat book. It's about a thousand pages long, but um, very uh, engaging and interesting. Um, the book, movie. Um, uh, there's this movie that no one's heard of called Being There, made in 1979 and starring Peter Sellers. And um, it's a comedy, but it's, it doesn't have many gags in it. It's, it's based on a book. And essentially, it's, it's a guy who's 50 years old who's got something wrong with him. He's kind of a bit slow. He's got Asperger's or something. And he was kept in this compound by his father till, was, till his father died. And he just was gardening in this little enclosed compound. And because the, the old man died, like, no one knew about this character. And they just assumed, well, why are you in this house? You have to leave. But he would, he would wear very nice 1950s suits and a bowler hat. And he looked very well dressed and he was very soft-spoken and he often would say, I understand, I understand. And so they set him loose in the city in Washington, D.C. in 1979, which is rife with crime and everything else. And through a series of coincidences, he gets like a car backs into him driven by uh, a very rich woman who then says, oh, look, you know, we don't need to get anyone involved. Come come to our mansion. Uh, my husband's very sick and he's already got a live-in uh, hospital here and doctors and stuff, and we'll look after your leg. And so th this lady falls in love with him. The, the man who's dying really likes him. And he talks in these allegories about gardening because he's been gardening his whole life. And... He, he just says these things that people think he's really deep. And the president of the United States visits the mansion because this guy's very connected in politics and he's getting a bit of stick because the economy is going badly. And they say, Chansey, what do you think? Uh, and Chansey, who's the main character, he says, you know, well, in, in winter, you know, the plants, they don't grow and then spring comes and the plants, they'll grow again. And, and everyone kind of looks confused. And then they say, oh, I understand. You're saying economics is cyclical. It's a very, very amazing point, you know. And then the president quotes this fellow on national TV. Everyone's f trying to find out who he is. Anyway, and there's sort of a bit of a thing the way it ends. But to wind it all up, it's essentially this idea of everyone is projecting onto this character all this stuff that isn't really there. He's a total shallow character. There's nothing there. But people see what they want to see. The woman falls in love with him because she thinks he's so thoughtful and caring you know, and the old man thinks he's savvy with business, all this stuff. And it sort of is, it's an analysis of how we perceive other people and how sort of reality can be very, well, what? It, it can be wobbly and projected back at us. And anyway, it's a comedy uh, and it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to check Sorry. that out. It, it, it reminds me uh, probably a, a little bit similar to Forrest Gump, by the way, you're sounding it. It's, like, it's, um, it's quite similar to that, to, yes. Yeah. All right. Being there, I'll definitely check that there. out. And and uh, and I'm a, yes. a big fan of the uh, uh, the history of the the Hawke and Keating years because it was when I grew up. So I'll, I'll be sure to check mm -hmm. out the End of Certainty by Paul Kelly as well. So thanks for that. And look, good. Now, now's your chance to give yourself a plug. Now, if if people uh, are having listened to the podcast and they think they may. Um, have a, or they don't like what they're hearing around from the, 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 the OSR around payroll tax or, or, 
or similar. Um, how can people find you? Where, where can they? Where, where can they find you? Uh, probably the easiest way is to Google my law firm, which is called Andreev Lawyers, which is A N D R E Y E V for Victor Lawyers, um, and uh, we're usually pretty well placed on a Google search. Um, and uh, you'll find our, our information on there, our details. We're on LinkedIn. I think we're on Facebook. Um, you'll Listeners be able to find... can contact me and I'll pass, happily pass on your details as well. Yeah, we're definitely. On, on, on some yeah. mutual clients um, to, to get what, what's been a really great result. So, um, and just a point about that too, we, we pride ourselves at Andrea Vloys that if you ring us up, you're not getting a bill from us. You ring us up and we'll have a bit of a chat. We'll talk for 10, 20 minutes, say what's going on, what's the situation, show us the letter you got. And if we look at the letter and say, well, sorry, we can't do anything or maybe we can do this, then we'll get back to you on that and no charge for any of that sort of stuff just to say what we think. Uh, I love to hear it because one of the things I, I hate from at any barrier or any level of small business, not just accounts, lawyers or whatever, just barriers to doing business. Um, so we want to remove those barriers uh, or those perceived barriers because, um, mm. you know, there, there's um, the question you don't ask from the professional because you're worried about a bill um, exactly. can, be, can be very painful. So if you guys have removed those barriers, that's that's wonderful. And obviously, you know, once you identify how you can help someone, well, that, that's um, that's what we're here for. So yeah, that, yes. that's, that's, that's a, a, a really great um, uh point you've just touched on there so well look thank you so much a uh, lot lot of nuggets there and um yeah really really look look forward to um working with you in the future and uh you know and again thanks for sharing uh on your extensive wisdom on all things payroll tax no worries Warwick. well thanks very much for having me Well, that was my chat with Damien Lehman of Andrea Lawyers about all things payroll tax. Now, here are a couple of my key learnings, which I think are really important for small business owners out there. Uh, number one, just be aware of what your current payroll position is so that you at least know if you're approaching the payroll tax threshold or you're over it. Now, that's just going to avoid nasty surprises, um, which might occur after the fact when it's too late to take action. Next part of that is, well, be clear about what is and isn't counted as a wage. Um, when you're doing those calculations. So wages, super, FBT, share options, those sorts of things are part of payroll tax. And then we might have a look at what is a better way to structure those. Uh, speaking with your accountant, you know, so sacrificing dividends, cars, uh, perhaps otherwise deductible uh, expenses. So, you know, really get some advice on how you can minimise that. The dividend option is a massive uh, benefit for, for small business, uh, self-employed people. So. Thirdly, contractors. Now, this is this is really important, and this can be the biggest and most massive unexpected expense uh, payroll tax when these people are deemed employees. So, advice on that is be proactive. Get advice up front on your contractors. Um, from what Damien was saying, the state governments are typically quite happy to include them on the assumption that everyone's an employee unless you can prove they're not, unless you've carved them out. So I'd be getting advice up front and maybe making sure that your contractor contracts are worded and documented in such a way um, that, you know, the, the, the payroll tax lawyers are happy that they're going to be excluded because, as, as Damien said, with a shrinking um, 
tax base, state governments are very hungry to get their claws into your business and increase their revenue. Damien talked about grouping. So really need to be very careful with, um, say, entrepreneurs that might have multiple companies or structures. Again, get advice early if you've got common ownership, common employees or perceived or actual common control or getting that advice early and getting it documented and getting your structures right um, and perhaps making sure we don't share employers if that's going to be a grey area. Um, again, avoids that nasty sting in the tail from a very hungry state government looking to get increase their tax base. Damien touched on the fact that the OSR or the state government, they're not infallible. So don't stick your head in the sand when you do get something notified from, the, from, from any government department, but take action and ideally be proactive and get, get them a response early. Uh, I think you mentioned in the podcast that if you respond promptly, like you know what you're doing, you're probably in the top 5% of taxpayers, so that'll get you a tick with the, the government department as it is. Um, also, getting advice early before you say things that might put, um, so it's professional advice early you know, from a lawyer such as Damien, before you say things that might put you inadvertently at a disadvantaged position, um, you're probably uh, going to be able to put any government inquiry to bed earlier uh, and even better as I said if you've documented these things in advance of any inquiry well then you can just hit any audit on the head with go here's all my documents here's why I'm not liable and thanks very much. So, uh, another couple of things from my chat with Damien which really important um, and this is for more of a life thing but look always be reading and learning. Um, Damien touched on how he started doing his university career doing a Bachelor of Arts degree and then here he, you know, first time in his life he got access to, you know, a, a really, um, you know, a large library, went and pursued reading out of pleasure and, you know, learnt so much and then realised that where his passion was and which was the law. Um, so, you know, if you're constantly reading, constantly learning, opportunities will present themselves, a new way of thinking will present itself and, you know, you, you'll find yourself uh, at a better, give yourself every opportunity to find yourself at a better place in life and, and take advantage of, of, of the career or the path that you want to take. Um, so always be reading and your, your mindset and your outlook on life will change for the better. And, and lastly, Damien made a point, and this is not so much on payroll tax, but it's just on small business in general. Uh, it's when he was referring to, you know, just making it easy for people, if people have a question, give him a call. So. Don't put a barrier to you and your customers or potential customers doing business. So make it easy for them to get a hold of you. Make sure that they're not intimidated. Make sure they're comfortable. Make sure they're not scared they're going to get a bill. That doesn't mean you have to be cheap. Doesn't mean you're not going to charge. But make sure that, you know, people can feel open enough to come to you so that then if there is an opportunity for you to help them, you can discuss whatever appropriate fee. Um, but you just don't want to be blocking people before they've even had the chance to, to come and do business with you. So, look, they're my key learnings from my chat with Damien Lehman. Uh, I think a lot of value out there for small business owners. And, you know, so I hope you got something out of that. And I look forward to you joining me for the next podcast. Mm-hmm.